Okay, we are in 1 Samuel chapter 18. And we had read last week a little bit about how David had, had uh, really been promoted rapidly after he had had that confrontation with, with Goliath. <clears throat> Let's start reading again from verse 6. Of 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 6. Then it happened as they were coming when David returned from killing the Philistine that the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines and with joy and musical instruments. The women sang as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousand and David his ten thousand. Then Saul became very angry for this saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousand, but to me they have ascribed thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? Saul looked at David with suspicion from that day on. Now it came about on the next day that an evil spirit from God, from God came mightily upon Saul, and he raved in the midst of the house while David was playing the harp with his hand as usual. And a spear was in Saul's hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped from his presence twice. Okay, so the thought that I want to look at today is, is that it was these women who came out singing. So there was this tremendous victory that went on because of this defeat of Goliath, the defeat of the Philistines that had to flee to two of their cities, and, and then their camps were ravaged by, by, by the Jews. And in their coming back, the women, it says, from all the different cities as they were passing through going back to Gibeah of Saul, that all the different cities that they were passing through, it says the women would come out and this song had started, Saul has slain his thousand and David his ten thousand. And so this jealous attitude starts building up in Saul. And in verse 8 it says, he became very angry. So there is a type of anger that is anger. And then there is another type of anger that is very angry. The scripture said he was very angry. And you say, well, what's with this guy? What's setting him off like this that he should be very angry about this? He's, they just had this huge victory. There should be all this rejoicing. What's he so very angry about? And it, it says that it displeased him. In fact, the literal is it was evil in his eyes. So what he did is he took some innocent little thing... And he started contorting it into something that was evil. And he's saying to himself, look, they've ascribed to David 10,000 and to me thousands. What more can he now have but the kingdom? And so again, in his own mind, he's extrapolating this into David taking his kingdom away from him. And that's not going to happen. David's not going to take anything away. God's going to take it away, but that's not for another more than 10 years. And, and uh, it says, Saul looked with suspicion from that day on. Now it came about on the next day that an evil spirit from God came mightily upon Saul and he raved in the midst of the house. So now this spirit has come upon him and he started to rave in the midst of the house. So you, you see this progression. He hears a simple little song. He becomes very angry about it. He says, this is evil. He starts 
magnifying this in his own mind, looking with David's suspicion, the next day it's not over. He starts propagating in his own mind to the point where an evil spirit starts to fill him and he's raving in his house. And it says that that, uh, he's thinking, I'll just kill David. And so he throws his spear to try to kill David. So this simple little progression. But you know, this is not uncommon in our lives. If we give a foothold to allow something to fester, without dealing with this with God, it gets worse and worse. Look in in Genesis chapter 4. So you can keep your finger there, but just turn right back to the beginning. In Genesis chapter 4, there were these two brothers, Cain and Abel. They were were sons of um, Adam and Eve. And, and, uh, and the scriptures say that Adam and Eve had many sons and daughters. So, this was their, 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 their first two sons, Cain and Abel. And in verse 3 of, of uh, Genesis chapter 4, it says, well, let me pick it up at verse 2. And again, she gave birth to his brother, and Abel was a keeper of the flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So, Cain's job was to till the ground. Abel's Abel's was to take care of the flocks. So, it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of the flock and of their portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So, Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Okay, so let's first think about this. Cain, his job was to be a tiller of the ground. So for him to bring, you know, some people say God was upset because he should have brought an an animal offering. You know, we don't know that. It it doesn't specifically say that. That's an extrapolation that we just don't know. Because Cain, there were many offerings in the scriptures that were of grain, that were of fruit, that were of grain, in addition to offerings of, uh, of animals. And sometimes, you know, it it can be said that it says, So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the full fruit of the ground, of the fruit of the ground. And Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of the flock. So it's been said that that Cain brought it, you know, after some later date, whereas Abel brought, you know, the firstborn. Or it could be just that Cain was waiting until the fruit was born until there was enough fruit that he could bring, because it says in the course of time. But it's revealed to us, actually, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 4, it says the difference was that Abel's offering was coupled with faith. That Cain gave an offering, but there was no faith that God really cared for this, and God had no regard for it. So there had to be a coupling with faith. So we're not, we, we don't get get that insight until we get into the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. But nonetheless, let me follow on this thought. It says in verse 6, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and your countenance has fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, and you must master it. Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up and kill, rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. So you see that, again, there is this progression. This progression that, that Cain was upset about something, and God comes to him. He says, your countenance has fallen. So God could see, you know, he was, he was kind of down. 
So his countenance had fallen, and he says to him, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? In other words, there is a way for your countenance to be lifted back up. And here is the way, God says. Do something good. Do something good, and your countenance will be lifted up. If you do well, your countenance will be lifted up. And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door, and its desire is for you, but you must overcome it. So in other words, if you don't do something good, sin is going to start to overtake you. That is an interesting thought. That God says the way to deal with this introspection where I turn into myself and I start taking some anger in my mind and I start developing it and developing it. Have you ever done that? I mean, I've certainly done that. You know, I start thinking a very small incident could have occurred. To the other party, it means absolutely nothing. And I'm like mulling this over and mulling this over. And they probably meant this and this by doing that. And they had no idea. And I'm just... And over and over, and it can get worse and worse and worse to the point that, as Jesus says, you're murdering them in your thoughts, in your heart, you're murdering them. This happens with people. We'll take a thought and we'll just develop this and it has nothing to do with anything. I've seen scientists do this with anonymous reviewers. So in other words, you send in your publication and people review it. And they send it back. And they'll say, oh, look at this review. This reviewer said, reject the paper on this, this, and this basis. I, I know who wrote this. I know. And they start getting all upset about this person. They'll say, you don't know who wrote that. Well, I think it's this person. They said, but look at what you're doing. You're getting really upset with this person. And you don't know that it was even them. He says, well, I'm going to get them back when I get one of their papers to review. You don't even know that. And I learned this early on in my career, that, that I had invited this, this uh, big shot professor from MIT to come and, and speak at the university. And, and uh, I was just a young assistant professor, and I had... Uh, said to him, I'm sure that you've reviewed many of my papers. He says, I've never reviewed any of your papers. And in my mind, I had envisioned that he had reviewed many of my papers. And I learned a tremendous lesson from that. Never guess, try to guess, and hold a case, a grudge against somebody. But this is, you know, so, so what I'm saying is it happens to everybody. But they took this thing and they were just rolling with this. Look over in in, uh, uh, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 addresses the same issue. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse verse, uh, um, 20. Romans chapter 12, verse 20. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. For in so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is again a very specific word which is very similar to what God told Cain. He said, if you do good, you do a good act, your countenance will be lifted up. But if you don't, sin is crouching at your door to overcome you. He says, 
do not, in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So by doing a good act, you can overcome doing evil. By doing a good act, you can overcome evil. So f- say you feel somebody has done you wrong. You know what the Scriptures tells us to do? Do something good to that person. You will learn in psychology that if you do something good to a person, you will end up liking them more. So when I feel that, 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 say, I'm I'm getting a rift with somebody, I will invite them out to lunch. Or they're upset with me, I'll invite them out to lunch. Because over a meal, you know, it's, it's, it's it's harder to get upset. And then, once I have done that good act, good things can start flowing. When you do an act of good, it overcomes evil. And it keeps you from taking some small little thing and in your own mind building this thing up. Because our minds can be really dastardly in projecting something that really ought not to be there. And even if we feel justified, it doesn't say, oh, you're justified so you can hold this grudge. It makes no distinction. It says you overcome evil with good. You do a good act. You feel that somebody has done wrong to you. Somebody has treated you wrongly. Go and buy them you know, some $5 cup of Starbucks coffee and bring that to them. Do some act of good. And the Bible says that you will overcome this evil because of that act of good. You'll overcome the evil from that act. Okay? So that's something, that's a principle for us that we want to take hold of. Okay, let's look back to, uh, to 1 Samuel chapter 18. So we see what had happened, that it was, that, that, that these things started to occur. Now let's, let's continue on in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse, um, verse 10, or I'm sorry, verse 12. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 12. Now the Lord was, now Saul was afraid of David, for the Lord was with him, but he had departed from Saul. Therefore Saul removed him from his presence and appointed him as his commander of a thousand. And he went out and he came in before the people. David was prospering in all his ways, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he was prospering greatly, he dreaded him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, and he went out and came in before them. So we talked about this last time, how now Saul tried to kill him. Now Saul tried to have him killed by demoting him from being commander of all his armies to being commander of a thousand, so he'd be out in the field now fighting more. And, but it said David was still prospering. Now in verse 17, Then Saul said to David, Here is my older daughter Merab. I will give her to you as a wife. Only be a valiant man for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, my hand shall not be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. But Saul said, but David said to Saul, who am I and what is my life for my father's family in Israel that I should be the king's son-in-law? So it came about at the time when Merab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, that she was given to Adriel, the Mehalothite, for a wife. 
So here, again, remember it was Merab that was promised to David should he, should he uh, uh, kill Goliath. She was never given to David. Now in verse 20, look at, look at the next woman in David's life. Verse 20, Now Michal, Saul's daughter, loved David. When they told Saul, the thing was agreeable to him. Saul thought, I will give her to him that she may become a snare to him and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore Saul said to David for a second time, You may be my son-in-law today. Then Saul commanded his servants, Speak to David secretly, saying, Behold, the king delights in you, and all his servants love you. Now therefore become the king's son-in-law. So David's servants spoke these words to David, but David said, Is it a trivial thing in your sight to become the king's son-in-law, since I am a poor man and lightly esteemed? The servants of Saul reported to him according to these words which David spoke. Saul said to him, Thus you shall say to David, The king does not desire any dowry except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines take the, take, to take vengeance on the king's enemies. Now Saul planned to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. And when his servants told David these words, it pleased David to become the king's son-in-law. Before the days had expired, David rose up, went out, he and his men, and struck down 200 men among the Philistines. Then David brought their foreskins, and they came in full number to the king, and then that he might, be, that he might become the king's son-in-law. So David gave him Michal, his daughter, for a wife. When Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David, and that Michal, Saul, Saul's daughter, loved him, then Saul was even more afraid of David. Thus Saul was David's enemy continually. Okay, so the story here is that he says, I'll give you my other daughter because he hears that his daughter loves David. So, he wants to use the hand of the Philistines to kill David. You know, it's interesting. David does the exact same thing later on. He does the exact same thing to Uriah. He has the hands of the enemies end up killing this man. But, David says, okay, you know, he's approached by Saul's servants, and he says, you know, I'm a poor man, I have no dowry to give. Well, David was not supposed to have been poor. He should have been enriched, the Bible says, for having killed Goliath, but Saul never kept his promise of giving him Merab. He never kept his promise of enriching David. So again, David had not received what was due him. But now, he says, you know, go out and kill a hundred Philistines, and bring evidence that you kill them and you'll have it. And David goes out and he kills 200 Philistines. He went out and did this thinking that David couldn't possibly live by going out and killing 100 Philistines. But he comes back after killing 200 Philistines. And he gets Michal. It turns out that this woman, Michal, though she loved David, ends up having real troubles in their marriage. Where Michal turned out not to be that godly of a woman. And so what I want to follow on is this thought of, of marriage, because this question often comes up, how do I know the person that God has for me in marriage? Have you ever thought about that? Has that ever been a question to anybody? Nobody's ever thought about that? Yeah, okay. So I used to think about that a lot, because I wanted to do what was right. I really did. I wanted to do what was right. I wanted to do what was right in God's eyes. That I wanted to do. But it seemed like every Christian girl that I met, what would go racing through my mind was, is this the one? Has that ever happened to anybody? 
Okay, to one person. Well, I wouldn't say every Christian girl, but a lot of them. Every good-looking Christian girl that I've met. <laughs> this thought would go racing through my mind. And, and uh, uh, you know, I would pray. And I said, Lord, I pray that you would provide the woman that you have for me. Lord, I pray that you would provide that. And I prayed this prayer for years, all the time, because God is the one who sees. So, Michal loves David. So, because a woman loves me, therefore, this is the right woman. You see what I mean? I mean, this could be really fickle. You know, people love very quickly. I mean, Michal loved David. What does that mean? She loved David. It doesn't say anything about how godly she was. It doesn't say anything other than she loved David. And now, after all these years, I will, I will counsel a lot of young people, and I have never, never, among believers, unbelievers, I have never seen a couple who was going into marriage that didn't love each other. Now, I know it can be, can be done, but I've never seen it. So, in other words, if everybody that I've seen goes into marriage loving each other, and 50% of marriages end up in divorce in this country, in the church, then love, you know, just loving doesn't, doesn't cut it. So, just because a person loves me, or I love them, is that an indication that this is what God wants from my life? Alright, now I've got everybody's attention, so I can tell. So this is a common thought. What you want to do is you want to get this right. Because you don't have a whole lot of chances. Alright? There's not a whole lot of opportunities. In fact, there's supposed to be just one. That is God's best way. So you don't want to mess this up. And God cares a lot about this. But the problem is ourselves. We are these complex chemical entities that when we start feeling attracted to somebody... There's all of these voices that are going around, and we can hear all sorts of things. This is the one for you. You can hear that. And this is all hormonal activity that can speak words to you to tell you that this is the one. You can find verses in the Bible that, you know, some obscure verse. Uh, 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 my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge. Yes, that must mean she loves me and that's the right one. You can take some verse totally out of context and apply it to your life. And just say, yes, this must be the right one. So how do you discern all of this? When, when our own, the, the chemicals within our body are, are, are giving us all of this trouble, how do you discern? Well, let me tell you what to do. You pray. And you say, Lord, bring the right person in my life at the right time. And Lord, if an individual is not the right person, take them out of my life. You could be considering some individual and say, Lord, if this is not the right individual for me, for marriage, take them out of my life. Let it not go anywhere. Let it not develop. You can, you can make commitments with people that, hey, we, we need a season apart. Let's spend this summer apart and see how it goes and see if, if, if this remains. There are things that we do that we put upon ourselves. Now, the Bible says, you know, a common thing is, how far can, can a young girl and a guy go together as far as touching and kissing and all of this? Common question. 
Well, you want to know what the Bible says? It doesn't address that often, but when it does, it says this. It is good for a man not to touch a woman. That's what the New Testament says. So you, you want a precise word? It is good for a man not to touch a woman. I mean, that's pretty clear. But I'm not putting that upon anybody. But you want to know what the Bible says? It says that. But the pattern is that we shouldn't do things that move us into a state that's going to cause these chemicals in our body to take control of us. For some people, they, they will go directly by that. They say, you know, let's just not even touch. We can get together, we can talk, we can do things. Other people are, you know, no, we hold hands, we're fine, we're hugging, we're kissing. But what happens is, as you're hugging, as you're kissing, there is arousal that makes it very hard to stop. Not only that, you don't know yet if this is the one that God has for you. And it's not by hugging and kissing that you know that this is the one. It really is not by hugging and kissing that you know this is the one. Because a man could walk up to a woman who he's never met before, ever, and start hugging and kissing and the two of them can become aroused. So you see, arousal is not the thing that confirms for us that this person is of God or not of God. Do you see what I mean? This is not what does it. But these are the issues that touch our lives. I want to set my heart right with God. Lord, I want to hear what you have in this. And if that relationship is not leading toward marriage, according to the Scriptures, this shouldn't be a relationship. In other words, you don't date around, date around, date around just for the fun of dating around. In Scripture, you don't see that. Lord, I want to discern, is this the individual that you have for me in my life? Because God knows, God really knows what that individual is going to be like in 20 years. You don't. God knows. God knows how godly that individual is, where their heart is, what their, their, their aspirations are. How they're going to raise a family. You know, I had, a, I had a, a young lady in my office just yesterday. And I was talking with her and she's you know, so ecstatic about her, her, her boyfriend. And, and the two of them are doing science together. And, 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 I, and I said, you know, you need to have your own project. You need to have your own scientific project separate from this individual. Because I know that you love this individual and she's looking at and, you know, you think that this is going to be just happy and blissful forever. But relationships come and they go. You have to have your own project independent of this person. And she's just giggling, thinking I'm a nut. But this, I really know. I really know this kind of stuff. You need to have a life with the Lord that is not dependent upon another individual. Where your life is with the Lord. And learn to have a relationship. And sometimes young women can get so glued onto a guy, thinking, you know, this is the guy that I need, that they feel that their whole spiritual existence revolves around this individual. That is not right. Your spiritual re existence revolves around an individual named Jesus Christ. And you wrap that around Him. Because no man will ever fulfill all your needs. No man will fulfill even half of your needs. He can't. Only God can fulfill these things. A man may supplement this, but it's through God. So you first of all pray and say, God, is this the individual that you have for me? And then observe them. 
What you want to observe is you want to observe some things. You want to say, does this individual serve? In other words, you know, do they help set things up? Do they help clean up? Do they help do dishes? How much do they serve? Is their serving, they're picking up their chair and putting it away, and then they sit down and feel, I've done my part. No, or is their serving... You know, I'm, I'm going to get in here, I'm going to do dishes, I'm going to serve, I'm going to serve food, I'm going to do these sorts of things. This is what you want to watch, because what you want in marriage, and I'll tell you what you want, because this again, I really know, you don't want somebody who's selfish. You want somebody who's selfless. And you can see this very well before marriage, you can see this very well before courting, you can see this very well before you even start talking to them. You can just observe this. Are they selfless? Do they give for other people? Do they help other people? Or are they the ones that just sit there and allow themselves to be served all the time? Or are they, is, is the, do they ever get up and serve? You want somebody who gets up and serves. We had a, uh, had a, a, a we used to have these covered dish meals and we were in a small church. I was in a very small church when I was in college part of this discipleship program. We, and, and people in the church would bring food for these meals on Sundays. And so we would get together and have these meals after church. People would bring different dishes. And I was living in this discipleship program with nine other Christian guys, and we would bring food. We would prepare something or buy something and always bring food to these, these meals. But, and so we would do this, but if it was a fifth Sunday of the month, that was a free Sunday. We didn't have the covered dish meals. Well, Shireen's family uh, uh, brought food that week, not realizing it was the fifth Sunday. And so we being young, college-hungry guys said, oh, you can just bring the food over our house. It's right over here by the church, and we'll just all have lunch together. How's that? It's a good idea, right? <laughs> and so they came over for lunch. And so her family came over for lunch, and it was my job in the house that summer to do the dishes. And so I went in to do the dishes after, after lunch, and Shereen was in there doing the dishes. And, you know, I, w- I was struck by this because there was, there was also a, a, a woman's discipleship house down the road. And once in a while, the guy's discipleship house and the woman's discipleship house would get together and have these meals together in the evening. And when the guys were at the woman's house and we would have the meals together, the guys would go in the kitchen and do the dishes and straighten up. When the women were in the guy's house, the guys would go in the kitchen afterwards and clean up. I don't know if it was a a 1970s women's lib thing, but the women didn't do the dishes, the men did. And so when I went in the kitchen and she was doing the dishes, I was immediately struck by this. And I said to her, you can go, it's my job to do the dishes. And she looked at me, she said, I like doing dishes. (laughs) I just about melted. My heart started pounding. I don't know. Has anybody, any of the guys here ever had this, where you, you meet a certain individual and your heart just starts pounding like Popeye? It just wants to bust out of your chest. Has this ever happened to anybody? That you meet a certain individual and your heart just starts, you can feel your blood pressure going up and your heart pounding? Anybody? It's happened to you. Okay. All right. All right. So it's happened to one person. Okay. And anybody in particular, Caleb? <laughs> never, never mind. <laughs> but, you know, I was really struck by this. So she's doing dishes and I'm drying. 
And then, I'm telling you, for weeks, I couldn't get her off my mind. And I didn't say anything to her, but I was praying all through this summer, God, take this out, this, this can't be right. Although she was a nice girl, she was a, a, a servant. I didn't know what she was going to be like 30 years later, I had no idea. But God knew. And the more I prayed about this, the more she came to my heart. So what I did is I submitted this to people who I respected. Because I know that my heart can be really fickle and, and, and my emotions and, and the hormones were all there going a zillion miles an hour. I was, I was uh, how old was I? I was like 20 years old. 19 or 20 years old. And um, I submitted this to the leadership in the church. And, and, and I went to see the pastor and the pastor said to me, you know, I shared it with the pastor, and the pastor was an Indian man, so he understood the culture of her family. And, and he said, uh, and he was the chaplain, he was the evangelical chaplain for the university as well, so he understood students. And he said, oh, oh uh, Shireen Massey, yes, I know her, I know her family very well. Um, you know, he was the, he, they were going to his church as well. And then he says, do you know where her father has gone this weekend? I said, no, I have no idea. He said, oh, he's gone to New York City to get proposals for his daughter. So it's a different kind of culture. So he went, to, he, he went and he had come back with seven proposals for his daughter. So who am I? You know, I feel like, like David, you know, who, who am I? <laughs> I'm like a dog here. You know, what do I know about their culture? And he said, why don't we do this? Why don't we just pray? And so he talked to her family. And he said, let's just pray for six months. And, you know, we weren't dating, we weren't going to... For six months, we were praying. And I was okay with that. You know, it, was like, it wasn't like, oh, I'm climbing the walls here. No, no, we've got to talk, we've got to get together. I wanted God's discernment here. I really did. I wanted God's discernment. And I told the leadership in the church when we met, I said, if we're not all in agreement after the six months, I don't want to pursue this. Now, you know, that's... You know, as I think back, that was a pretty mature statement. Because I didn't want to get caught in something that wasn't of God. And then after six months, every, all the leadership was in agreement. Her family was okay with it. Everything, my family was okay with this. But, the, the associate pastor who was very close to me, because he was, he was the pastor who was over the guy's discipleship house. And so he was the one that I had spent the most time with, and he didn't feel real comfortable with, with it. And his rationale was he didn't feel that she was where I was spiritually. So I said to them, okay, we won't, we won't pursue this. And the pastor said, no, we're going to pray, because either he's hearing or we're hearing. Let's pray another six months. And I was okay with this. I was a senior in college, and... Uh, and we prayed another six months. And during this time, we weren't out dating. We, you know, once in a while, I would be invited over her home with her whole family. It wasn't like we had to spend gobs and gobs of time before each other in order to figure this thing out. We didn't have to. Because God was going to figure this thing out. I mean, people spend lots of time together. They even live together to figure this thing out, and they get it wrong all the time. I didn't want to get this thing wrong. And after six more months, this associate pastor came to me and he says, you have my blessing. And we got engaged. And I, it was just a week or two after engagement, I left for graduate school. 
And so we were apart that whole first year. I came back at Christmas, I think, and visited her and her family. But we were apart that whole first year. And we, this was back when you call on the phone. There was, there, it, it was expensive to call on the phone. There was, there was one phone company, and that was AT&T, and that's it. There were no multiple phone companies, so they had a monopoly, so they could charge whatever they wanted. And it was very, very expensive time. That's where all my money went that first year that I was in school. Was in phone calls, but God did it. I had no idea that 30 years later she would be who she is. I had no idea that she would complement what I love to do, love to to minister to students and give out. And she's more giving than I am. I mean, just giving and serving. You talk about servant. I have never, never seen a servant like my wife. She makes lists every morning of the people she's going to do things for. And that's not just for her family. It's for five-year-olds. It's his five-year-old's birthday. She likes him. She's going to go over his house and bring a balloon and a gift for him. And then there's these other two five-year-old brothers. She wants to take them out to, uh, to Chuck E. Cheese. I mean, this is what this woman does all day. I had no idea. But I love her. God knew. God sees this is what you want. David moved into marriages. Oh, all right, you know, kill a couple hundred Philistines, I'll do that. You know, what's the difference? David had real trouble in his marriage. He was taking one wife after another. Real problems in his marriage led to real problems in his home. Real problems with his children ended up killing each other. Shireen's views on how to raise children just aligned perfectly with my views. I mean, we wanted to raise our children the same way. We don't miss church. I mean, it, it, takes, it takes some bug that's like, like two tons to knock one of us out that we're not going to come to church. In other words, if I'm hacking away, I'm coming to church. She's the same way. She has the same heart. This idea that, oh, well, you know, we got kind of busy. We didn't go to church today. <laughs> no, that doesn't happen in our home. I wouldn't want that, and she doesn't want it. This is the way we raise our family. This is what we did. The same ideas that we don't want our kids to leave the door of the house, go through the threshold without us bowing and praying for them before they go. She's the same way. I had no idea. God knew. You submit this thing into the hands of God and you get counsel from other people. Your parents, even unbelieving parents, have an amazing sense given by God what is best for you. Get their counsel. And if they're not in agreement, you pray that they be in agreement because to have family support to hold up a marriage is very important. We've had our problems, but never has divorce been an option. It's never been on the table. It's never been a consideration. We go to counseling, but we don't... The thing of divorce never been a consideration. You want family support. You want help. You want insight on this. But you get one shot at this thing. One shot. You don't want to mess this up because either it's going to bring misery in your life and there's lots of miserable people that have gone through this. Or it's going to bring absolute joy in your life. It's not that every day is joyful and happy. I mean, you have arguments. We've had lots of them. But we laugh together a lot. I mean, we went to the football game last night and she was reminding me of something. Here we're busting up laughing together. This is something that happened 25 years ago and we couldn't stop laughing about it. And she just, you know, brings this thing up. And she knows how sensitive I am about this. She does it just to bother me. But this is part of, of who we are as a couple and what we understand together. And, and uh, I want you to have 
this joy that I have. I want you to have this. And there is a way. You get it right with God. You don't just move in this thing, oh, she loves me. Maybe this is the right one, attractive girl, you know, rich family, king's daughter. Okay. <laughs> no, you do this, you get it right. And you will have a very blessed life. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for these young people. I pray, O oh Father, that you would so work in their lives, that they would dedicate their hearts to you, to hear you, to hear your voice, to submit their relationships to you. Father, that they would get this right. Lord, that they could experience the joy that you have in having a man with a woman that nothing should tear that relationship asunder. Father, that they would experience the joys of raising a family in Christ and that they would be spared from the pains that so many people around us have to go through. Father, I pray that they would submit their relationships to you, to what you have. Father, your blessing and your grace abound upon them, I pray. Bless these young people. In the name of Jesus. Amen.